Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. And welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm here with 40 minutes of free football opinion you can take and claim as your own, if you like. But if you disagree with me, there are three other opinions you can help yourself to. It's those of the excellent Rory K. Smith, the ever more excellent Matt Dickinson, and of course, our boss, Tony Evans, the most excellent one of all. Later on, we'll be discussing the truth, lies, and alcohol consumption of the QPR squad. But we start in North London. Dick, I want to start with you. Um, on the back page of, uh, of, of the Times today, uh, there's a headline whereby uh, AVB says, Arsenal are now caught in a negative spiral. But then by the same token, I hear Arsene Wenger saying that they dominated the game and Spurs' two goals were against the run of play. Uh, where do you stand? Uh, well, I mean, it's fair to say for Wenger that his team started pretty well. Um, they were they were pressing. They were trying to play this um, high defensive line that I'm sure we'll turn to. Um, they, you know, Cazorla had a decent had a very decent game. Wiltshire didn't. I mean, you know, they had some some productive players. The trouble was, of course, they had those three minutes where that high defensive line was completely undone, and um, you know that the game was encapsulated in those in those couple of minutes and that's all it took and it's of course a recurrent problem um, for Arsenal that their defensive organisation is simply not good enough and their defensive individuals um, are simply not good enough and I think Vermeilen to me is, sums it up he is a better player, a far far better player than he looks in that Arsenal defence and that raises all kinds of questions about coaching, organisation confidence, um, I could go on Tony Stewart Robson's basically been saying what we just heard for the last three years, maybe, if not longer. Um, the fact that they played this high defensive line, it, to me at least it shows that they are trying to do something differently defensively. But, of course, it also comes down to to execution. Why can't they execute defensively? I, you know, I think Tickle's right. I think they haven't got the personnel to play the high defensive line. They haven't got the pace. If you're going to hold the line like that, you need someone who, if it all goes wrong, can get back. And the ponderous at the back, it's... Um, I mean, I, I, I must say, I did think they were a bit unfortunate on the first goal. Adebayo runs offside. He knows off, he's offside. And he stays there and freezes the defence. That's getting an advantage from doing something that's illegal. So, I mean, I, I hate that rule, but... I mean, if he's offside, then the defence knows he's offside, then 
they know he's there. He can't touch the ball. He's, I mean, he, he becomes active if he interferes, if he makes oh, a run. Jesus, that becomes active. <sighs> so I'm, 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 a, I'm a believer in if you're on the pitch, you're active. But anyway, let's move on. But the, but the fact is, it's simply that he hasn't got the, he hasn't got the personnel to play it. The you know they, they don't press well enough in midfield. They don't finish up well enough in attack. And, and you know you can see that Arsenal, uh, if not in decline, they're stagnating. Um, and also, it's, I mean, it shouldn't just play in the. I mean, it was easy to scapegoat the centre halves, but as Tony says, there's the pressing in midfield, and then there's also the goalkeeper. Who, again, I mean, you know, I, I was convinced a year, eighteen months ago, that Chesney was Arsenal's keeper for the next ten years and a very promising one. And uh, you know, this was a guy who was going to be near the top of his profession. And you know, if you're going to a his confidence looks, sh- you know, shredded. You know, the guy can barely trap a ball, can't pass it five yards without you know giving me the palpitations never mind his own defenders and also you know if you're going to play that way he's not a sweeper keeper and and that was part of the problem you know he's not he's not a guy who comes off his line and gives you any confidence um Roy do you want to continue lambasting the uh Arsenal defense or do you want to focus on on the front four because as as I saw I I saw a lot of uh, a lot of sterile possession I, I I saw them actually moving the ball quite ponderously compared to the way they normally do sort of zipping it about and I didn't see very many shots on goal at all which I thought was rather un-Arsenal like well they, they, yeah they have they have shot more in the last couple of years than, than they used to I think so it's maybe it's un-Arsenal like in that sense but it's not un-Arsenal like as of four or five years ago no but it's, as uh, of this season I mean if yeah yeah they, they've, they've obviously, they have obviously tried to do that but I think what Dicko said about the Milan's right I don't actually know if I think Vermaelen's one of those one of those players that we all think is really good because he, he he should be really good and you know he's got he's got a good reputation we all think he's a solid defender but if you actually watch Thomas Vermaelen he he falls over more than more than most human beings I've ever met he falls over a lot Thomas Vermaelen to the extent that I'm worried there is something slightly wrong in his brain because he's always falling over but what's definitely true is that even if he's not got worse at Arsenal he's not got any better and that is because the defensive coaching isn't enough in terms of the stylistic stuff going forward there was this idea that Arsenal were the best team to watch in England it is not true at all and hasn't been true for some time Arsenal play a kind of middle of the road cold play style passing football where they sort of shift it about a bit they do a bit of the horseshoeing around the box and they come back again and it's all sort of okay to watch but they're not they're not a sort of particularly penetrating team they're not particularly pacey they've got Walcott I suppose who's quick but that's it they're not particularly dangerous in the air obviously Giroud's sort of alright in the air they're okay to watch they're not great to watch there's just there's nothing that defines Arsenal and they look like a team that's kind of devoid of of a purpose almost there's no point to Arsenal I suppose is what I'm saying and I think yesterday's result was really significant because it was telling that Spurs started badly and ended nervously and that's because of the complex they've got about Arsenal and beating them is probably enough you'd think is enough to kind of shake that off a little bit that little brother complex to make Spurs realise that they're certainly the best team in North London if not in all of them that sets us up for a nice transition into Spurs because all this character assassination of Arsenal and questioning Arsenal's purpose to to, to even exist was making me rather uncomfortable Um, Dicko the the, the focus with Spurs is going to be on Gareth Bale uh, uh, inevitably but let's not talk about him 
can you praise a couple other guys first before we move to the inevitable bail uh, discussion, like, say, Fritongen, who you gave very high marks to? Yeah, no, I, I thought he was he was he was well, you know, he was very good, and we you know he's he's been a shrewd signing. He can play a couple of positions across the back line, but you know I think he's best at centre half, and he he just looked he just looked supreme yesterday. He was making big tackles, making them cleanly, and oozing the kind of confidence that that Arsenal just can't can't match. Um, I thought he was excellent. I thought, but I thought it was most interesting. I mean, I much prefer to see Dembele further forward. I thought you know he did that more at Fulham. I think he's a he's a far more creative player than we saw yesterday but you know he played where he was need you know where he was needed he played with a discipline he kept it tidy you know he he did his job uh, and I, I say I don't think it's the job that he's best suited for by a long way but he did his job effectively it's interesting parker was getting battered at, uh, at, I saw on twitter at one stage maybe we shouldn't pay too much attention to that but you know just as he was he start, I actually thought the last 20 minutes just when spurs were in danger of being driven back he as much as anyone started trying to drive them forward um they just looked like a team that were they knew their roles and they you know, largely to a man performed them to perform them very well I mean Sigurdsson had hardly touched the ball for the first 15 minutes and then slides that ball through for the first goal so I would have thought Adebayor to be honest was the only player they had who really stunk Tony, how, how good are they? Can, can, can you put this into some context? Just remember, I mean, obviously Sandro's, Sandro's injured. Um, you presume they'd be a better team with, with him in there. Um, but it seems to me like he's sort of assembled this whole sort of country of, of attacking midfielder types because I think that's what Dembele is naturally, even though mm. he's playing further back. And you can do that. And if they all work hard for, for each other, if they're, all, if they're all disciplined to some degree, if they all pay attention, if they're all clever... Um, and they all seem to be. And remember, there's also guys like Dempsey, like like Holtby, who, who we haven't mentioned. That's kind of neat what AVB's done. Some some love, maybe. Well, well, yeah. I mean, especially after last year, you know, we were talking about character assassination. All we got coming out of Chelsea was negativity. You know, the tales of his arrogance and you know, sort of his football, um, his unwillingness to listen to other people. It could be that he's grown and improved and it learned could, something be. because and he is 22 years old, after all. Yeah, and 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 then it could be that. Chelsea's unmanageable um, but you know he's, he's gone over there and he's gone about his business and the same sort of stories that we'd heard last year and not coming out of White Earth Lane you know it, it's all positive so um, so yeah he, he's, he's done a really good job it's a midfield it's got plenty of attacking options and you know we talked about Parker who gives them an anchor at ground and he'll protect the centre earths and it looks like a unit that's coming together and it looks like a team that's improving and you know could be could be the second best team in the country at the moment after Manchester United I, I, I presume yeah, yeah see, note how grudgingly uh, he says that um, Rory we, we didn't I didn't want to overemphasize bail because we've all been doing it but I guess uh, he deserves a mention yeah, he's he's a very good player, Gareth Bale. But I think more interesting than Gareth Bale is is Vias Boas. So at the start of the season, it, when there was all the problems with Michael Dawson, it looked like Vias Boas was was kind of repeating the mistakes he'd made at Chelsea, which is go in, tackle the the inherent power base, you sort of ignore the I guess the, the the reality of the situation and try and impose your your philosophy, your your theory top down but this season I think Rias Boas's great triumph is that he's he's adapted that he's not playing the 4-3-3 with the rotating midfield that he did at Porto he's he's shown a bit of nuance he's shown a bit of subtlety and he's he's got the team playing the best they can with 
with the resources at his disposal rather than saying, this is how I want you to play, try and fit in. And that's, that's the art of club management, and he, he obviously has grown. And I think what's crucial in terms of, and this is where I'll bring it back to Dale for you, Gab, in terms of his reputation is that Dale clearly loves playing for him. It was, it was interesting, you know, when he when he went to celebrate, I think it was after after the, the, the second goal at West Ham in the week, he went and grabbed the Aspart, you know, really sort of a great big bear hug from Bale. He's obviously clearly enjoying working with him, and from what you hear from the players at Spurs, they love the Aspart's um, training sessions. They love the way he's innovative and all that. So, it. He, he has restored his reputation in nine months at Spurs and part of that is because he's getting the best out of Bale because he's given him this free role which basically allows him to do what he wants and as Tony Castorino said in the paper last week basically makes Bale completely and utterly unmanageable Dicko going back to those both for, for a second I, one of my pet hates is we kind of assume that um, you know we have an idea of like okay so this manager is like this and we kind of assume that managers are sort of fixed in time and that you know they're the same people like in, in different jobs in different situations, um, in different moments in time. That's not the case. It's entirely possible for AVB to get everything wrong in one place and then do everything better in the same way it's entirely possible for, say, Mourinho to have worked very well in certain situations and not so well in others, right? I mean, you don't you're turn bringing, up and... You're bringing all your, your fancy continental ways, you see. You're, you're, you're judging <laughs> um, as uh, you know, by a specific regime, whereas we like to judge um, a character and we like to you know say, basically, this guy is uh, you know a certain type of bloke and a certain type of manager. And then, as you say, that, that image is fixed for the next 175 years. Um, but no, no, you're right. We should we should learn, um, and I think maybe AVB will will help us to learn that, as you say, it is about you know specific circumstances of a job, and that managers. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the Chelsea situation was partly the madness of Chelsea, and it was partly clearly AVB trying to second guess when he came in the type of job he needed to do, the type of person he needed to be, and I think he sort of contrived, partly contrived a persona clearly to try and sort of enforce that, you know. I mean, as as Tony mentioned, I mean, some of the the sort of horror stories that used to that were coming out of the hierarchy at Chelsea about the sort of character, you know, the, the character he had become. They didn't recognise him from his previous existence. He was arrogant. He was, yeah, he was an unpleasant guy to work around. And and I mean, maybe to some he was, but I, I think he he had sort of tried to turn himself into something at Chelsea to try and sort of match the pressure of that job. Uh, he seems to he seems to be more himself um, at Spurs um, as Rory says he seems to be uh, evolving and relaxing and as you say it is possible for managers to change people to change and and that's 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 his greatest achievement I guess is that he's 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 showing that he's learned from lessons and if you know hopefully we can all do that in life uh, Tony, the other big story from, from the weekend a bunch of uh, uh, papers on Sunday um, describing I thought somewhat confusingly and cloak and daggerly um, that there was a huge 1.5 billion uh, offer uh, for Arsenal to buy out both Kroenke and Uzmanov. I, I was a bit confused because you really couldn't tell who these people were or indeed where they were from apart from the fact that they're uh, um, from from the Gulf, I guess. Um, Kroenke said he's not selling. Were you buying any of this? or? No, it doesn't really add up. The valuation doesn't add up. One point five billion. Um, certainly, they're not 
the club's not worth that much probably I mean actually when you read behind the headlines it was uh, 880 million bid for 66% of the shares so that value is a, a little bit less than 1.5 billion so the headline writers couldn't do the maths um, and I'm not going to do it now but I, I mean the fact is Kroenke's not going to sell at this stage uh, Usmanov is richer than God you can't displace him with um, an extra 4 or 5 quid on the value of a share um, there'd be no value and also the, the, the details of the bid they're going to pump loads of money in to, you know, for a huge transfer kitty oh, no one has a financial fair play in the Middle East I think what is interesting and also though, they already have a big pile of cash to spend on transfer well, exactly. I think what is interesting is I think it, it, we're on the cusp of a new era of takeovers I think the, there's a realisation that the television deal this television deal is, is putting humongous money into the game and it's worth buying a team and getting them into the Premier League um, and I think there's a growing realisation that the next deal will dwarf this one in 2016 so I think we're going to see quite a few people getting into the game um, or trying to get into the game but you know, I don't think they're going to be people who are getting in because they grew up wearing the share to the club I think it's going to be a, a difficult time and those clubs those fans who are looking for investment and praying for investment be careful what you wish for well in fact if QPR stay up Roy and I have already agreed to uh, band together and lead a consortium to uh, buy the side off of uh, Uncle Tony but that's, I guess that's for uh, a future podcast Huge match tomorrow. We're going to take a quick detour, um, but huge match tomorrow, obviously, at uh, Old Trafford, uh, United and Real Madrid. Dico, you, you've been, you spent some time in Madrid. Uh, they're, they're coming off, uh, or I guess, I don't want to say the reserve side, but um, a team packed with reserves um, beat Barcelona for, for the second time in, uh, in, in four or five days. Uh, the script kind of suggests that it's not really an advantage to United to play the second leg uh, at home, given how well... Uh, Madrid counterattack. Um, how do you see things playing out? Well, I think I think you were right with that. I mean, I was, Tony and I were talking about it earlier. I think you've got to see it probably sixty forty to Madrid, just partly on, well, uh, on the potency of their attack, on the potency of their attack on the on the counter. Um, I, I just worry that United will not be able to stop them scoring a couple of goals, and I, you know, uh, that, that's that's my main concern. If if Ronaldo, assuming, you know, there'll be lots of speculation about whether Ronaldo will cope with the emotion of the occasion. Well. Uh, that that might have been a, a justified worry three or four years ago, but I think he's 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 too mature and too damn good to to, to worry about that. I, I think I think Madrid will go through maybe two or three one. Tony, are you that down on United? I mean. I think both teams will score. Um, uh, I, I, do, I think I think Dickel's right, and I think the twenty percent advantage that uh, Real have is down to Ronaldo. It's all about him. Um, they've got weaknesses at the back; they can be exploited. But if Ronaldo's on. United are not going to be able to cope with them. Rory, are you going to uh, fly the flag for your Lancastrian brothers? Uh, not because they're Lancastrian, no. Uh, I think I think Real probably do. In, it, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's sixty forty Real because it suits them, as you say, to be counter attacking. Maybe have a slight advantage, but I, I've just got this this feeling that we're going to see Sir Alex Ferguson tearing down the touchline in the ninetieth minute, in it with sort of coattails flapping behind him, sliding on his knees, 
after sort of a, an average midfielder tapped in a rebound. So probably a goal from Anderson, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd always side with with the home team, given the, the, the you know the occasion, the, the, the crowd, all that, all that sort of intangible nonsense. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, Real, it will suit them counter attacking, but I, I think United will squeeze through. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm with Rory on this one. I, I could see United maybe winning two one. It's not a knock on on Real Madrid, but let's not forget this is Real Madrid's season right here. This is Mourinho's future right here, and you know this is still a team I think which has some which has some divisions and. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to call, but I think uh, United have uh, they have a lot of weapons that that they could exploit, possibly more than uh, Real Madrid in a game like this, given the way it's likely to play out. All right, moving on to Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea hosted West Bromwich Albion. Now, a, because of the. Uh, I want to call it a rant, but let's say the uh, extraordinary exchange of ideas uh, uh, Rafa Benitez had with the media on Wednesday following their 2-0 win at Middlesbrough. Um, a lot of people were expecting Rafa to be pilloried and, and booed. I was just talking beforehand, actually, to our, to our producer, Chris Skinner, about uh, who was producing the game in his uh, other job. Um, about sort of what was going on, what they were expecting. Some people tweeting, oh, look, it's quiet here. Nobody's having a go at Rafa. Others saying, oh, wow, it's pretty nasty. Um, I was at the game, um, and I thought uh, there was a fair amount of venom. I think it was pretty obvious how a big portion of the uh, Chelsea supporters feel about him, and in particular about whether he has a right to tell fans what to sing and, and whatnot. Um that said, in the same way that it's been for most of the season at Chelsea, uh, they boo Rafa, but they get behind the team and they celebrate Jose Mourinho. And I thought that script was, was rather followed. Um, but then I go get home, I get the media like, oh, look, you know, nothing happened. It seems that you know, Rafa's message worked. The fans are all quiet and they're behind him now. Uh, Tony, you're you're agitating. Well, no, I'm just. We expected something more, didn't we? You know, the, the, we, we, you know, we were told that you know Chelsea fans were so angry. You know, I, I wanted it. I wanted Rafa in the stocks. I wanted tomatoes thrown at him. I wanted a public execution. I wanted them burnt at the stake in the centre. You know, and they let me down, Chelsea fans. And you know, it just proves the new fans have only just got into the game, and uh, you know, and they brought their iPads and and wrote little messages on them. No, it was terrible. They, they tweeted. No, mean things about Rafa. Yeah, you know, the, the fact is, what are they going to do? I mean, it's, they're very conflicted, aren't they? They don't want Rafa. They never wanted him. Um, but, you know, they can't spend the whole game. You don't go the match to abuse the manager. You know, you've got to get behind the team. I mean, it's everyone's overblown it. And, you know, it's a, we ex- you know, I expected a more hostile reaction. But it kind of, you know, it, it was about right, wasn't it? Roy, why did he take his job? <coughs> Well, because he couldn't turn down the, the opportunity to, to work for for a, an, an elite club when he'd been out of work for two years. I think it's fairly obvious why he took the job. It's, the, the, of all the charges that's been laid against Rafa, the one that I find most astounding, and I, at, at this point I suppose I have to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I did, did work on him with the book, so I am possibly biased I'm trying not to be but the one that I find really astounding is this, this this idea that he's arrogant for taking the job and thinking he can win the fans over how on earth is it arrogant to want to work for a club that you regard as being one of the best in the world how is that arrogant well I, I, I'd say it's 
it's maybe you know you do a level of self analysis, and if you look at the things that Rafa does really, really well, um, and he's and he's shown, he, he's, as he himself pointed out, I think he's won every trophy that you can win at club level. He's won league titles at Valencia. He's won the Champions League at, uh, at, at Liverpool. Is he's very good tactically when he's got time to work with the. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Players, he didn't. Have, he wasn't going to have the benefit of a preseason. He's going to have a group of players that really weren't suited to to, to the kind of football he's played in the past. He was expected uh, just by showing up to turn Fernando Torres back into the player he was. Uh, certainly, anybody who's followed his career will tell you that. St- being a diplomat and being a bit fake and being a bit of a bootlicker really isn't part of Rafa's personality. And those are all things that you frankly need to be if you're going to be the Chelsea manager in this environment. What I find shocking is that he could, I mean, that A, Chelsea could misread the situation this badly and that he could misread the situation this badly. He's being asked to turn into something he's not. There, there, there isn't a manager in football who doesn't have the arrogance to, to look at another club and say, you know what, I could do, I could do better there. I could, you know, I, 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 could, I could make this work. And, you know, let's face you looked at that squad of players, and Rafa thought to himself, "You know what? There's, there's a bit of talent there. Get them organised, get them sorted. If that's arrogance, well, you know that's what managers should have." Um, but Tony, there is an arrogance in, in in the way Rafa's handled the last two years. He, he's had offers from other clubs from from a tier or two below the elites, from sort of Atletico Madrid and Valencia mm, and Wolfsburg and what have yeah. you. And he's turned them down because he thinks he, he doesn't have to have to prove himself again. He shouldn't have to rebuild his CV. He thinks he should go in at the level of teams who can compete to win league titles and Champions League. Yeah, definitely. And that is arrogant because, to me, he has to... And, I'm, I'm, you know, we've probably had this conversation with people who know him better than we do, but the, to, to me, he has to, he does have to rebuild his reputation. He's got to accept that the last year at Liverpool went badly, Inter went badly. He's got to make himself desirable again. Taking Chelsea is actually humility. I agree with everything Jab said. The situation was wrong for him. But at the same time, all he had to do was, or all, all he still has to do, is last seven months, keep them in the Champions League, maybe win a trophy, if he can win the FA Cup or the Europa League or whatever. And crucially, keep his mouth shut and he could prove to the, the, the other big clubs in Europe that he's still someone who can put winning teams out on the field the problem is that the results aren't quite there at the moment and the incident last week although I think it wasn't it certainly wasn't as some newspapers described it as being premeditated it was not a pre-planned statement Definitely. the 
I think the problem is that you, if you were one, if you were Real Madrid or Paris Saint Germain, who are two of the teams that could potentially be looking for managers in the summer, you'd look at that and think, mm, this man is not a, is not a politician. He's not a diplomat. That's I, the issue he's got. I, I'm I totally uh, um, echo Rory's sentiment on this one. We, uh, word on West Brom because they're they're ninth at the table. They had the great start and they had the wobble. And then they kind of come back, and I, again, I was impressed with them. Uh, I, I don't. Sometimes I wonder if I'm watching different games, but I read all these things about oh, how brilliant Chelsea were with Rafa. I think Chelsea were brilliant at all, actually. I, I think um, in the front four, except for Oscar, I didn't think much really worked. And uh, point, and I thought West Brom had their chances as well. Peter Cech made a couple good saves, and in the end, it was one nil. But Dicko. Um, what next for, for, for West Brom? I mean, you, you know, you've reached this level. How do you advance the team now? Well, I'm still, having tipped them as a dark horse of relegation this season, I'm still clinging to my, my tip. It's not too late, I think, if, if, if they lose every game. So, no, I, I, I've, I've been eating humble pie sent to me from the Midlands for, for several months now. Um, how do they kick on? Well, they've, they've got one of the best chairmen around. There's no doubt peace. Um, would you know, rival Hugh Jenkins for from Swansea for that for that accolade if there was one at the end of the season? I think it's going to be interesting what they do now. I mean, a lot of people there praise the work of Dan Ashworth, the the, the guy who's now just started at the FA as as the new technical director there, and say that he was you know absolutely instrumental in a lot of the great um, scouting, uh, a lot of the great recruitment um, that they've had in the last um, decade. So it's going to be interesting how they re- you know how, how he is replaced. And whether we see see a dip in that, I mean, I think I think yeah, that's because clearly a huge part of their success has been down to to their ability to to buy well. Simple as that. Um, and just to wrap this up, uh, where I want to put my own special word on um, on a West Brom player who uh, I'd never really seen or heard of until very recently because he didn't play in the Premier League and I don't follow the lower divisions. But this this Gareth McCauley, who uh, as I've since found out. Um, He's an Irish guy. He was an amateur footballer until until he was like 22, 23 years old. He's like a plaster or something. He ended up someplace called Lincoln. He didn't even reach the championship until his late 20s. Um, this to me, and, and he's holding his own. He's holding his own on a team in, in the top 10. I think he's now 32, 33. This to me goes to show that the players are out there yeah. if you have competent scouts and know where to look. And I am sick and tired of managers whinging about needing backing from the manager and needing millions and zillions because, you know, this is a guy who came from nowhere. I'm, I'm with you on this. Stop scouting by GVD. Exactly. Watch players. Or scouting by agents instead. Yeah. And enough of this uh, BS, too, about like, oh, well, you know, uh, British players can't do this and that. He's not British. I think he's Irish. He's still from the British Isles. It's still kind of the same thing. It's not like the dude's Brazilian, but he can go and he can hang in the Premier League. Okay, so Queen's Park Rangers, like Sunderland, like Swansea, like Norwich, I think, uh, decide to go to uh, Dubai to do some uh, warm weather training, um, as, as a number of uh, Premier League clubs like to do. I think also because they get, probably get paid somebody to do that, get a bunch of freebies. Uh, the difference is that all those clubs go, but only one club ends up uh, in the newspapers upsetting Harry Redknapp uh, on Saturday. A big story about how uh, they went out there and allegedly Redknapp and his missus stayed in a different hotel and uh, the players did train every day but they were kind of done with training by 10.30 and then according to the story they basically spent most of the, the rest of the time drinking and basically misbehaving. Um, now Redknapp's been very angry about this. He denied this story. I think he says that in the end they had one 
night out where uh, they went and they uh, and you know, they stayed up late and drank basically. Um, now I'm, I, Dick, I want to get your take on this because I think this story speaks a little bit to to the way the media works and the way clubs work and some of our. You know, let's face it, some of our prejudices, some of what, how we feel about Harry Redknapp versus those other players. And first of all, did you find it more believable that it was QPR and not Sunderland or, or Norwich? Did you did you do you think there's a different club culture there? Uh, well, I think they've, they've, there's a very problematic culture at QPR on 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 all sorts of levels. I mean, the, the, the squad is about as as wonky and dysfunctional and and screwed up on a, on. on Wages, you know, talent on the right balance of of everything as 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 a, any Premier League we've squad um, and any Premier League squad we've seen in in a, in a very long time. Um, in terms of splits, uh, absolutely, I believe that the, <clears throat> they've had all kinds of issues, but about different different cliques, different camps. There's all sorts of players who've been you know rotting rotting with no chance of getting in the first team for a long time. There've been other players who are on huge money who have been been isolated. So yeah, at, at all sorts of levels, um, QPR have cultural problems. That's for sure. And whether whether that means they're all boozers um, is is is, an, is another leap. Um, but it just it just seems to me, Tony, that this QPR story gets in there, and perhaps other stories don't. And certainly, you know, Redknapp intimated that. I was an agent, maybe an agent with a short name, I don't know, um, who was responsible for getting the story out. I well, Obviously, we don't know where the, where, where the truth lies. I, it's hard to think that everything's made up. Maybe that was exaggerated, but... I mean, footballers go out boozing when they've got time off, sure. You know, I mean, and as Dick This said, wasn't time off. This was a work trip. They were there to train. They weren't, it's not like they were spending their holiday all right, with... All right, well, let's ask, let's ask some fundamental questions. If it's a work trip, which, as you say, you think that they're being comped and that, why did Harry take his wife? Why did he stay in a different hotel? Mixed messages being sent out everywhere. Well, the, the rest of the QPR coaches stayed in the same hotel with... Uh, um, with with the players and, and Harry's wife doesn't work for the club, so you know she wasn't working. So if well, if I'm going abroad on a work trip, I'm not taking my wife. It's work. So I mean, what message did send out? You stay in a different hotel, and, and you're not with the team. Maybe maybe he didn't take her. Maybe it was just a coincidence that she was there, staying in a different hotel. And and Harry's thinking like, all right, do I want to sleep in a big bed with my wife, or do I want to go and share a room with Joe Jordan? Blimey, what are you doing here, Gail? I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> I'll tell you what, let's share a room. I'll come over to your old cell. Are we, not doing, are we not doing Sandra a massive disservice here? Maybe Sandra takes a, takes a brilliant conditioning session. Well, maybe she was like, wait, yeah, maybe, well, maybe she was working with the forwards, because, you know, Darren Bent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, it, I, I agree with Tony. I think that what I thought was really telling about the, the way the story was originally presented was this idea that if Harry had stayed in the same hotel, then, the, then he would have been able to control the players' drinking. The players are professionals. They should know not to drink. They were, they're bottom of the Premier League. They, need, they should be fighting for their careers, not, not thinking, oh, we're in Dubai for five days, let's get, let's get hammered. It's, the, the abdication of responsibility is criminal. Now, but Dico- also, let's, let's before, I, mean, I think we've, we've alluded to this, but let's, let, let's be blunt as well. I mean, without being sued, I hope. You know, the fact is that this story was placed... I mean, you know, Redknapp, Redknapp is not wrong when he says, you know, he, t- he talks about an agent. I mean, clearly this story was, say, 
was put in a newspaper willfully um, to, to try and cause maximum embarrassment to, to Queen's Park Rangers. And now, you know, my understanding is that you know, there is some truth to the story, which means, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't get away from that. But it also sums up QPR's problems, that there are people out there, and it sums up, you know, QPR's dysfunction going back now over, over, over a year or two, that there are people out there who are, who are, who are trying, to, trying to undermine them in this way. Um, it's, 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 reflect, it's reflective of wider QPR problems. Is there also a, a bit of an issue here? Because I, I looked at the, the squad list after this came out, and there are some QPR players I know who I know hardly drink, and there's a bunch of them who are Muslim, so I know they don't drink. And there's a bunch of them who I don't know and I don't want to stereotype about them but based on the type of players they are and based on their background and based on, you know, who who brought them to the club, um, you know, Warnock, uh, I can kind of see them, you know, being more sort of – I can I can see their recreational drinking, you know, bringing Bing back to the days of like Niall Quinn talking about what great spirit there was at Sunderland when they drive back from away games and they go to some pub and have a lock-in and then you couldn't do that anymore because all these foreigners came in and, and you know, I guess ended everybody's fun. And I guess – People like you have spoiled the result. <laughs> Clearly. No, but I mean is, 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 is this is this some of the, the, the cultural division that Dicko was – Alluding to earlier, yeah. and then because it would strike me if, if I let's say was somebody who was closer to the group of QPR players who don't like to drink, but by the way, maybe they still like to party and they like to uh, the, 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 they like to have sex or hang upside down or whatever the hell it, it is that turns them on. Whereas an English person would rather I'd rather you know go and drink heavily than have sex. If, if there is this kind of division here. Um, I, this does. This is. This would explain how the story came out, right? Well, I mean, let's face it. There is no club in the country that needed a bonding trip more than QPR, and you know, and it's backfired in the worst possible way. Um, yet there are people with vested interests in making QPR and Ari look stupid, and it's worked. Dicko, uh, all that said, QPR won at the weekend, so the joke's on them, right? Well, that's, but there people are confused. I mean, this this trip was was <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? It was sort of un- it was connected to the to the to the win in the sense of Harry says he used it in his you know pre match team talk. You know, guys were about to get a pummeling. Well, we have had a pummeling in the papers. Uh, let's not make it any worse. But that's not really going to work as a motivational uh, trick every week, unless they can arrange, I guess, for someone to write nasty things about them every Saturday morning and then Harry can somehow use that to give them a kick up the backside I'm sure no, I think, I think I, I, they've, they've given themselves a, a fighting chance of staying in I think was as long as they've got Remy playing and fit um, he he's transforms their chances because he's a proper striker um, without him they've got no chance with him they've got a slender one um and just to wrap this up, I was talking to somebody who's involved with the club, and they did make a point about why this is damaging in a way that we haven't brought up yet, but I think is worth mentioning. Um, you know, Rory said before that you have a lot of fans or just people who go to the game, and you know they don't really care that much. I, QPR, I don't know. If you look at the cost of a season ticket there, you look at the size of the, of the fan base, the demographics, there are people who really bust their rear end to make ends meet to go and support the club. And money does come into it because when you hear about footballers making 
40, 50, 60 grand a week, you expect a certain, you're basically to play a football match, you expect a certain standard of behavior for them. And if these stories come out. See, this is where it's all wrong. I don't think you do. What you do is you expect them 40, 50, 60 grand a week, you expect them to win, right? If they win, people don't give a toss. No, 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 no. But that's what I'm saying. But you expect the standard of behavior when you're losing. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're bottom of the league. And I think this is what resonates, right? If, 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 if I'm skipping meals to go and pay for my QPR season ticket, and then I have, and then I have some yeah. of these guys yeah, who are bottom of the table and they're millionaires and they're taking the but, piss, but in, then I'm kind of annoyed. But in the aftermath of taking the piss to go out and beat a team, especially uh, rivals for relegation, you'll say, go ahead, boys, get out on the ale again this week and win again next week. Yes, if they did that, yeah. But um, what I, did you say? So, I think you'll find that um, they still they, that that was the that they increased their victory total this season by fifty percent with that one win. Yeah, well, I mean, it, but if they can continue like that, QPR fans won't give it to us. All right, time now for some quick hits. Shinji Kagawa and it's a hat trick. The first one ever by an Asian player in the Premier League is Manchester United rule past Norwich 4-0. Dico, can you please evaluate Kagawa's progress this season? And given the story James Ducker reported last week of a possible Paris Saint-Germain bid for Wayne Rooney, might Sir Alex have his replacement in-house? Uh, well, I don't think we should get too carried away. I mean, I thought that one of those uh, finishes in particular was exquisite, wasn't it? When he just opened up his his, his right foot and, and wrong-footed the, the keeper and the defender. But I've just checked. It <laughs> was his first goals since September. Um, I know he's had a, um, some injury problems, but let's not get carried away. I'm not even sure he'll be in the team tomorrow night. So, um, yeah, great, great day for him. But um, I'm not getting out champagne yet and hailing him as the next Rooney. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a big Kagawa guy. Luis Suarez also nets a hat trick in Liverpool's demolition of Wigan. Tony, Brendan Rodgers thinks it's only his poor reputation with you people in the English media that will prevent him from winning Player of the Year. Uh, personally, I could care less about stupid awards like Player of the Years, the PFA, the Football Writers, all that jazz. But I do care about your opinion as a longtime Liverpool watcher. How many Liverpool strikers can you name in the history of the club that you would take ahead of Suarez and I do remind you it is Kenny Dalglish's birthday today um, Kenny Dalglish okay. happy birthday Kenny um, after that you begin to wonder uh, ahead of him um, Torres Arras best was was an exceptional striker but as Rory Smith would say he was supply dependent uh, which Suarez isn't uh, Ian Rush uh, had the longevity but he, he was even more supply dependent and had the greatest of suppliers um, Robbie Fowler just bleep briefly was beautiful. Uh, how many would it take out of him? Can he tell Leash? There you go. Tony Evans says Luis Suarez is the second greatest Liverpool striker ever. I didn't quite take say the that. Twitter. I didn't quite say that. <laughs> Stoke lose at home to West Ham at the weekend, and there are reportedly some murmurs of discontent among the fans, which Tony Pulis addressed, saying the club are kind of victims of their own success because fans expect improvement year on year, but it's extremely difficult. Uh, Rory, given the amount of money that has been spent, um, are Stoke where they should be, and should their fans maybe chill out a little bit and love the Pulis a bit more? They should obviously respect everything that Pulis has achieved. They have spent a lot of money, Stoke, far more than people maybe think, or they certainly wouldn't sort of spring to mind when you think of the big spenders. What I would say, though, is that there's a kind of two sides to it, isn't there? There's, the, there's the, the fact that fans obviously want improvement. They want to see teams moving on, achieving things, whereas Stoke do appear to have sort of found a formula to finish 14th in the Premier League. 
But that in itself is quite admirable and always beware the example of Charlton. Now, Expro, which um, I have to admit I had never heard of before uh, late last night when I saw a story about them on our website, is apparently a football charity. And they claim three out of five Premier League footballers go bankrupt within five years of retirement and that one in three gets divorced within a single year of retiring. Um, Tico, do these numbers make sense to you or do they feel entirely made up? And if they do seem plausible, um, what can be done? Um, mm, if they are true, then what can be done? Um, footballers can start spending less money and sleeping around less, I guess. Um, I, I, I don't buy them, do you? I, I, they, they, they sound made up. Um, <laughs> they really One do. in three divorce within a year. I mean, uh, footballers like to sleep around and they get plenty of opportunities, but I'm, I'm not buying that. And three out of five go bankrupt, go bankrupt in the modern age. I mean, there's, there's been some no, famous examples of Lee, was it Lee Hendry at Villa and a yeah. few others who have gone so hey, many, why, but they only mentioned I'm two. I'm not buying it. I don't know. X-Pro, X-Pro, who are they? Yeah, I, I don't know. It seemed a bit weird. Sunderland are held by Fulham, and Martin O'Neill is angry at referee Mark Halsey for not awarding a penalty uh, for Philippe Senderos' alleged handball. Um, Tony, you were once a referee down in East L.A., I believe. Mm. Uh can you explain the rules to Martin? Yeah, well, first of all, what I'd like to do is explain that this question was originally intended for Rory Smith, but he thought himself above talking about Sunderland Fulham. So let's get put that into context. Um, clearly, it wasn't deliberate handball. And Martin O'Neill, like any manager who sees the ball at hand in the area and thinks he should have got a penalty and thinks he should have had three points, is going to complain about it. But, you know, th- there's a willful blindness to the rules of the game from managers and players that we see on a week basis. Mm-hmm. There you go. Take that. Uh, Everton beat Reading 3-1, and they're still three points ahead of Liverpool. Um, Rory, what are the chances they'll finish ahead of the Red Men, as Didi Haman likes to call them on Twitter uh, this season? And is Moyes justified in not committing to a long-term contract until the end of the season? I think he probably is, yeah. I think he... Um He's, he's at a stage now where he may, he maybe needs to, to think about what he wants to achieve with his career because Everton, sadly, beyond winning the FA Cup or maybe the, the League Cup, are never going to do more than they have over the last sort of five or six years, which is finish fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh, and always fall a little bit sort of short from from actually challenging for major trophies. Um, yeah, I think whether they finish above Liverpool this year is difficult. Everton have got quite a tricky run in. They still have to play Liverpool, I think, um, as well as a couple of the other sort of Champions League contender sides. It's getting closer. Uh, on the balance of the season, Everton probably would deserve to finish above them just, but it'll, it'll be tight. Okay, it's the Gab One for You section of the show, but I haven't actually uh, written a question. So, today and today only, um, Tony, Rory, Dicko, any one of you that, that would like to can ask me any European football related question and I'll do my best to answer it Gab tell me something I don't know about Belgian football which I should warn you is an awful lot well something you should know given that you've been to Egypt at the company's expense and talked to a lot of people is that uh, um, there's, an, uh, there's an Egyptian uh, businessman who's uh, struck up a deal with uh, Liers and uh, a team in the third division which um, his name escapes me right now where basically because all these Egyptian players from the Egyptian league are, are currently unemployed because the league is isn't, they're not employed, but they're not playing football. He's loaned them all to, to, to Belgium, and there's this third 
third uh, division division side. I think it's KV Turnhout. I think they're called, uh, who've just added like twelve guys from the same uh, Egyptian side, and also at Lierse, I think there's six Egyptians now on loan there, and uh, uh, he has a financial interest in both teams, and it's caused a fair bit of controversy. But my take is, hey, these guys are professional footballers; they deserve to be playing. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. Thanks to my guests, Tony Evans, Rory K. Smith, and from beautiful downtown Mortlake, it's Matt Dickinson. Come find us on Twitter. We're all on there. All on there. You can share your thoughts, especially Tony's thoughts about the greatest Liverpool striker ever and where Luis Suarez ranks on that list behind Kenny, of course. Happy birthday, of course, to Kenny Dalglish as well. Uh, you can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk, as so many of you do every week. And remember, of course, you can go to the times.co.uk. You'll find news, views, web chats, blogs. Look out for my blog on Tuesday, and you'll find some of the best analysis out there. Till next week, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,